Well, I think often uh, many of us, maybe it's just me, um, we go through life and we face you know, a trial or a difficult chapter or something that's challenging and we tend to think, man, once I get through this, I'm gonna feel so much better. If I can just make it to the other side, then life is gonna feel different and I'm gonna find that elusive happiness, right? But it's not quite that simple, although it does remind me of something uh, really that I found that gave me a good laugh over the holidays. Someone bought our family, they were for the kids, these, these chocolates, and there's a picture on the screen gonna come up for you. Um, and it was so nice of them, they're really delicious. But I had to laugh at what the back said, and I want to read it. This is how they sell it. Picture this. You're eating. that you need. I think they're called Chaconi. <laughs> they're like the bottom of the trumpets, you know that bit of the wafer with the chocolate, and they are good, and they did provide momentary happiness, but um, they didn't quite deliver on the live without fear part. <laughs> uh, life is, um, you know, life is not bad times and good times. It's both at the same time. Yeah, I think so often we wait in years of anticipation for certain things, thinking that we're getting to the good part, right? Like we, we really wanna get married and we're waiting for that special someone and we find that person and then we build up to the wedding day and everything's amazing and then we get married and it's, it's great and it's bad. <laughs> it's both at the same time. Or when we have kids, right? We can't wait to have those cute little bubbers that smell so good and they're so delicious and our heart just bursts with love for them. And it's incredible. You finally get kids and they bring the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> Nothing teaches you love like kids. Nothing teaches you patience and long suffering. And don't get me wrong, the good far outweighs the bad, but isn't it, isn't it life? We kind of think, oh, if I could just have those kids, it's gonna be amazing, and it is. But they do bring both and. They bring the best and they bring the worst. Um, or, you know, you want that job promotion. Great, you get the promotion, it's awesome, you get more money. But now you've got more responsibility. Now it takes more time investment. It's both and. Well, what about this one? When everything falls apart and you go through the very worst of times and it's dark and you can't see anything good, but when you get to the other side or as you start to journey out the other end, you look back and don't you realize that God was with you yeah. in a different kind of a way? And don't you realize that there are some things that you learn and that you grab during that season that there's yeah. just no other way to get them? It's the good and the bad. It's both together. And this is our journey called life. And you know, it's funny like that, isn't it? I think of my own life, some of my lowest times, some of the best things have happened. It, it doesn't quite make sense, but that's the, the funny part about life. There's a pastor called Rick Warren, you might have heard of him. He's the pastor of Saddleback Church and he's the author of Purpose Driven Life, a very well-known book. And he talks about this concept, he shares that in the same year, he got two pieces of life-changing information. His book, Purpose Driven Life, became a bestseller in the world. And so it gave him fame, it gave him fortune, it gave him influence. But at the very same time that he got that news, his wife Kay was diagnosed with cancer. Life 
is always a series of ups and downs, but having these two things happening at the same time really altered his perspective. And he says this, he said, I used to think that life was hills and valleys. You go through dark times and then you go to the mountaintop back and forth. I don't believe that anymore, he says. Rather than life being hills and valleys, I believe it's kind of like two rails on a railroad track. And all at the same time, you have something good and something bad. No matter how good things are in your life, there's always something bad that needs to be worked on, true. And no matter how bad things are in your life, there's always something good that you can thank God for. You can focus on your problems or your purpose, and that's the key, isn't it? In the midst of whatever season we find ourselves in, what is our focus? As we embark in 2024 and we look for what's next, the challenge is for all of us keeping our focus fixed on God. He is good, he is our sustainer, he's in control, he's our provider, he's our healer, he's our refuge, he's our comfort, he's our strength, and he is enough. But so often what happens is that because it feels so dark at times, the dark overpowers the light and the good moments. And that is perfectly normal. I mean, when you think about it, uh, we're born, and what are we born with? We we come out crying, right? (laughs) It's already negative. What's our first word? Tell me. What is our first word usually that we say? No. Yeah. (laughs) It's just kind of how life goes. We tend to focus on the negative. And the disciples are great for this. I love them so much. In fact, Tinny already referred to um, part of what I'm going to share. And they are often looking at the problem and not at Jesus. And so I want to go to Matthew 15 and verse 29. And it's the feeding of the 4,000, not the 5,000 that we just heard about. And so you can turn if you want, or it will be on the screen. So let me read it to you. It says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and they haven't had anything to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. I mean, good point. I think I would without food for three days. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? In fact, one version says, where in the world are we gonna find enough food in this desolate place to feed this crowd? And there it is. In that moment, all they could see was how, where, this is impossible, what are we gonna do? And yet, it was just one chapter earlier, just one, that we had the feeding of the 5,000. Same situation, I'm wondering why there was no bells ringing in their head, uh, when Jesus, you know, once again wanted to feed the people and he did the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And not only that, Jesus had just healed the blind and the sick and the lame and the mute and the deaf. He'd done that all right before their eyes, but what could they see? They could see, there's no way we can feed this people. Where are we gonna get this food from? And yet, when there's no way, the Waymaker was literally right there in front of them, but they couldn't see it because they focused more on the dark than they focused on the light, more on the problem than on the solution. And of course, the story goes on. Jesus literally did the same thing as we just heard about. 
he asked them what did they have. They had seven loaves and a couple of fish. He took them, he blessed them, he broke them, he gave them to the disciples, they gave them to the people. Everyone had as much as they wanted and there were seven baskets left over. They started with seven loaves and they ended with seven basketfuls of leftovers because our God is not just a God of enough, but a God of leftovers as well. (laughs) The story is such a picture of, of my life. You know, I'm blessed, I'm really blessed, but so often I focus on the one thing that I am struggling with, the one dark part of my life, and it can derail me, it can take all my attention, it can take all my focus, it can take all my prayers, and it stops me from experiencing the grace of God in my life. The dark often overpowers the good. And it is possible, though, to reframe this lens, and so I want us to have a visit with the Apostle Paul, because this great man is a legend. Apostle Paul was unjustly sentenced to house arrest in Rome following some religious disputes, and four out of the 13 letters that we find in the New Testament that he wrote, he wrote during that time in prison when he was in chains. And you know, believers then and now are forever encouraged by his devotion to his calling, his courage, his selfless interest in his fellow believers. And so I wanna remind you of some of the verses that he wrote while he was in chains. He was able to focus on the good, not just the bad. So those books are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Ephesians, you might remember this this verse. For Ephesians 2, eight to nine, for by grace you have been saved through faith, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And how about Ephesians 3.20? This is actually one of my favorite verses. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask, think, or imagine, according to what he has prepared for us. Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the whole armor of God, and then we don't wrestle against principalities and powers, uh, but rulers of darkness. Or how about Philippians? Man, Philippians is an incredible book, and I actually wanna encourage you, why don't you go home and read it? It's just four chapters, take you maybe an hour, but read it in the frame that this was written by a guy who was in prison, who was chained, who couldn't do anything, who wasn't free, who didn't have nice food, who didn't have anything that we would want in life. This is what he wrote. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 2, 12, this is what he wrote. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Wow, like that was his focus, that this gospel is advancing even though I'm in chains. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God so that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Philippians 4.11, you can see why he wrote this now. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Well, he can say it, can't he? He really did learn. Philippians 4.13, we all know this one. I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. And Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. This is a man who knew how to find the good even alongside the bad. The bad was more greater than the good, really, if you look at it from our lens. But when he looked at his life, he saw purpose. He didn't see pain, he didn't see problems, he saw purpose, he saw the gospel being advanced, he saw that he was fulfilling his call and the reason why he was on the planet. That's what he focused on and he was able to write these letters that still speak to us today. It's pretty inspiring. He didn't let pleasure dictate his life. He focused on his purpose. And we can learn it too. The secret to joy and contentment is just that. It's looking for the good among the bad. It's learning to be thankful, like we heard about last week, an incredible message on the weapon of thankfulness. And as we look for the good, it'll naturally bring about thankfulness and that'll help us to diminish the bad just a little bit in our lives and get that focus back. But I wanna encourage you, even though life is a tale of two cities, there is the good, there is the bad, God has so much more ahead. You know, Paul was in prison, but he wrote that God is gonna do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you think, ask or imagine. God has got good things ahead for you and I. God has got a great plan for 2024, and I'm full of hope, and I'm full of excitement, and I'm full of anticipation and expectation. But with what's next, can we be reminded that life is the good and the bad, and that's okay. We can look for the good even among the bad. And God is in the middle of the furnace. We've talked about this a lot, but really it is in the darkest moments that we feel God the closest. It's in the most painful moments of life that we often find our greatest strength. We find out what we can really do, what we're made of, the things that we thought we could never do, and we find out who God is as well. There's something about the dark where we find God in a whole new level. It's just, I don't know, it's just different. Isaiah 45, three says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who called you by name, am the God of Israel. You know the most valuable treasures like diamond and gold and oil, they're all found far below the earth, they're buried deep down in the dark. And you know it's often the same in life. Those treasures, those diamonds, that gold, that oil, it's found in the dark places. It's found deep down. But I tell you what, if we can learn to go through the darkness and look for the diamonds as we go through, we're gonna come out with, with lessons, we're gonna come out with things that God builds in our life that no one can take away and that we couldn't have got any other way. You know, for me personally, in my darkest moments, God didn't always answer all my questions. But he was with me, I felt him, I learned so much, I came through stronger. Like God really does do his best work sometimes in the dark. He is a pretty amazing, amazing God. And I just wanna remind us a moment of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a, a story I often mention because it is so uh, inspiring in Daniel chapter three. You know the story, these boys, they wouldn't bow to the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And uh, so they were gonna be thrown into the fiery furnace and as they were walking towards those flames, they, they said to the king, look, we believe that God's gonna deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still gonna serve him, we're still not gonna bow down. And you know, it's hard to know what they were thinking. Maybe they were thinking that God would deliver them, 
Maybe they were thinking their deliverance was gonna be you know, straight into eternity, who knows? But what we do know is as they got thrown into the furnace, the flames were so hot that it killed the guards that were throwing them in. And they went in not knowing if that was their last moment here on earth. And then what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar, he looks into that furnace and he says, I see not three men, but four men, not bound, but loosed. And one of them looks like what must be the Son of God. Where were they when they were meeting with God? They were in the fire. They were in the hot place. They were in the what would have been the worst moment of their lives. But I guarantee it became the best moment because in the fire, they met with Jesus. I mean, they're just casually walking around, chatting with God, their, their, their ropes had fallen off, they were completely free, and the king calls them out. But you know what, isn't that a powerful truth? It was in the fire that God showed up, that they had that conversation, that moment with God. And I love that. You know, God is in the fire with us. He's in the heartache, he's in the pain, he's in the sickness, he's in the difficult times. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse nine, this is Paul again. He reminds us, we're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. It is possible to be in pain, but not be crushed by it. What we go through does not have to define us. And you know, it is hard to be in the fire. It's hard to be in the struggle. It's hard to be in the hurt, but it's a refiner. It's where God takes our lives and he refines it. And as we hold on to him, we can make it through and we can come out better. We can come out stronger. Now Peter, he's another example of this. I love Peter. And you know, I think one of his darkest moments must have been when he denied Jesus three times, right? And in that moment, he must have felt like such a failure. The Bible says he wept bitterly. But you know what? It was after that moment that God called him. He became like the lead apostle. He started the church. He preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. They say, there's verses in the Bible that said, you know, people would, would tr- lay their sick in, on the um, streets just hoping that his shadow would pass by and his shadow would heal the sick. And do you know what Jesus does? In his lowest, worst failing moment that he had, God visits him. He turns up after the resurrection and they're fishing and Peter sees Jesus and he runs to Jesus. And I love that thought because it's just a reflection of the God that we serve. Peter didn't feel terrible that he just denied his master three times, he'd let him down. No, he still ran to Jesus. The love was far greater than anything else. And Jesus in that moment, he reminds him of who he is, he redeems him, he recalls him, and away he goes. And his future was incredible, and his life from that moment on just went up. It was like his worst moment became the um, catapult for his future ministry, where he became a mighty, mighty apostle and a phenomenal person of God that we read about today. You know, um, his greatest, you know, his his season of greatest weakness became his moment of greatest strength in the future. And finally this morning, I wanna talk about our response determines what's next. They say that one of the last things that can be taken from us is our ability to choose. We get to choose what happens next in our story. We don't get to choose our circumstances 
or maybe what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond. And our response can determine our direction. But um, talking about responses, it does remind me, the other day we had some family over for dinner and um, my cousins and some of our aunties and uncles were there. And we got talking about cleaning, which is actually, if you didn't know, it's like a secret um, hobby of mine. I love cleaning, I'm quite passionate about it. And um, we were talking and uh, so I was sharing about some of my favorite products and um, we were all just swapping tips and it was quite fun. And then one of my cousins asked me, she was like, oh, your stovetop is like really clean. And straight away my uncle pipes up and he's like, oh, that's because she doesn't use it. And I was like, actually I do. I used it at the beginning of the year and I cooked bacon and eggs and straight away the smoke alarm went off and we just chuck out the batteries now. Like I think the smoke alarm detects when I turn it on and decides to go off. But I would say this, my response was, number one, to have a good laugh, because it was very funny. He was very fast that day. And number two, I, I just came to the conclusion, clearly I should just cook less. I mean, that's the obvious conclusion. So if your stovetop is dirty, cook less. Don't use it, and it won't get any worse. Anyway, responses. <laughs> that great man of God, Charles Swindoll, he said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. And this is so, so true in life. Only 10% is what happens to us. 90% is how we respond. And do you know what? That's about what happens to you and what you do to yourself. <laughs> it, like Peter, if you get yourself into a mess, it doesn't actually matter. If you respond well, God will use it to catapult you into your future. Doesn't matter what happens to you in life, you can overcome, you can have a great future by the response that you choose. You know, the prodigal son is a great example of this. He threw his life away. He went to the worst of places, to the bottom. But what did he do? He came back to his father. He responded well, and his dad threw him at a party. Meanwhile, the older brother, who'd kind of done everything right, responded badly. And in the end, he was the loser. And the one that had done everything wrong was the winner because of his response. Response is so powerful. And do you know what? With God's help, we can make 2024 a yes year. Yes, Lord. What's the question? That's up to you, but how about our answer be yes. Yes, I will believe. Yes, I will serve. Yes, I will follow. Yes, I will trust. Yes, I will commit. Yes, Lord. Let's make 2024 a yes, Lord year. You know, I would say it's easier to have a yes response when you have an encounter with God. And we see this throughout the Bible. And I wanna to go to Mary for a moment. You know, she, Mary, the mother of Jesus, initially when the angel came to visit her, she was frightened and rightly so. You know, it was terrifying. And the angel came and, and told her that she'd been chosen to have this baby. She's not even married. She's gonna to have to endure shame and rejection and questions and uncertainty. She's gonna to have to raise the Messiah himself. And what does she do in response? Verse 34 of Luke 1. First of all, she asks a question, how can this be, since I don't know a man? I'm a good, good, valid question, I think. And then verse 38, the next thing she says is, let it be according to your word. In other words, yes, Lord, it will be difficult. It will be, uh, it will be painful. It wasn't my plan. It is gonna change my entire life, but yes, Lord, yes, I trust you. She didn't do anything. She simply responded with yes, with willingness. 
and an angel visited her. And so I do feel like if an angel turns up, it's probably kind of hard to say no. But Moses gave it a good go when he messed up his life and then God encountered him in the burning bush and calls him again. Moses kind of said, well, I can't and well this and well that. But in the end, he too said, yes, Lord. Joseph is another incredible example. He had an encounter with God early on. He had those two dreams where he was, um, everyone was bowing down to him. And uh, then his whole life fell apart. His brothers threw him into the pit. They sold him into Potiphar's, um, into slavery, and he became a, a slave in Potiphar's house. And what was Joseph's response? Yes, Lord. Yes, I'm going to do the best I can in whatever circumstance I'm faced with. Then he was unfairly accused of raping the boss's wife, not good, and he gets thrown unjustly into prison. What's his response? Yes, Lord. He serves faithfully in the prison. He does what he knows best, and then finally he ends up second in command. And do you know what? That we never know whether he was even vindicated or justified for the accused um, you know, rape that he so-called did. We know that he didn't do it, but the Bible never kind of refers to whether he, uh, that got cleared, but I suppose being second in command probably did clear his name. But you know, not everything always works out. Not everything always gets justified, but if we have a yes, Lord response, God will follow us with his goodness and his mercy, and it will follow us all the days of our lives. Yeah. You know, we see this through all the heroes, through all the greats, Gideon, Daniel, David, Isaiah, the heroes of faith. Their response was yes, even when the question required pain and difficulty and hardship and suffering and high cost, their response was yes. They encountered God, they responded with a yes, and the rest is history that we read about today. I believe with all my heart that 2024 is gonna be a year of encounter. I feel it in my spirit. I've been praying for it. I've been believing it. There's a verse that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered the heart of man what I have prepared. And you know, I think that 2023, we started to taste something, but 2024, we're gonna step into encounter. When we encounter God, everything changes. All we need is one word, one word, one moment, or a series of mini moments, it doesn't really matter. But no matter where you find yourself in life today, if we encounter God, we can have a yes response. I mean, let's choose to have one without the encounter, but let's believe for the encounter. Our God is good. I was reading about Paul this morning when I got up and his um, Damascus encounter. You know, this guy was completely off track. He was killing the Christians, but he wasn't positioning himself to encounter God, but God did it anyway. He met with him on the road to Damascus, and his whole life got turned upside down. And I read in one version, it said an hour later, he was preaching the gospel. I don't think it was an hour, but you know, it was suddenly, very immediately, I think other versions say, he was sharing his faith, like God turned his life around just like that, completely. 180, from killing Christians to saving people, to getting people born again. And that's what our God can do. I'm believing that we're all gonna encounter him. I'm believing for revival. You know me, I'm believing for it, it's coming. We've been praying, we've been asking, we've been seeking, it cannot be far away. 2024, let it be a year of encounter, let it be a year of revival, let it be a year of yes, Lord, yes, Lord. If I could have the musos, that'd be great. (laughs) So what's next? Well, it's up to you. It depends on our response. 
But I do want to say this, God changes things. In fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them, God changes things. Hmm. It's a statement that I often hold on to because it's true. And God knows and we don't. You know, God can see the whole picture. We can only see a couple of pieces of the puzzle. God can see everything that we can't see. And he knows and we actually don't. And sometimes we do have to accept that. You know, the season that you're in, whether it's good or bad, won't last forever. Nothing does. They pass. You will come through. You will come into a new and a fresh season. It's a fact. But God changes things and God knows. And one word is enough. That's all we need. And even if your circumstances don't change, you'll change. God will change you. God will do something in your life. Things change because we serve a God that changes things. And if there's anything I hold on to, you know, it's that God is fighting for me. He's with me. He never leaves me. And with Him, I can walk through anything. He's enough. He is more than enough. I heard a statement that says, uh, worship that hurts like hell heals like heaven. (laughs) Can we respond with worship? 2024 brings fresh hope, new opportunities, new challenges. And our response to these things plus God determines determines what's next. And I just want to remind you, let me serve a God that says, what if it's not over? What if this part of your life is just the dot, 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 or the comma? What if it's not the final chapter? What if it's not the end of the story? God has so much more. This is just a chapter in your life, and the next chapter is coming. 2024 brings another chapter. We often have the microwave mindset, don't we? But we serve a crockpot God. He's working while we're waiting. He has a greater plan. He changes things. He's with us, and he's for us.